Now, I want to uh, rewind this morning, going back, I think it's probably 2006. I'm 18, and I've just been on the best hike of my life. At this point uh, in time, I'm living in North Wales, in the bottom corner of Snowdonia, on the coast. Uh, and in, literally in the back garden where I was living is uh, one of the well-known Welsh mountains, Cadar Idris. And that Saturday morning, it had snowed. And it was glorious. And of course, being 18, I packed my rucksack and I'm up the mountain uh, as quick as I possibly could. And I remember almost reaching uh, the summit of this mountain. And I take a moment and I, and I look back. You can see all the snow-covered hills out to the sea. Uh, and the only thing I could really make out coming up towards me were my footsteps in the snow. You could see it sort of snaking back along the ridge uh, for several miles. Stunning, absolutely stunning. It's one of those images that is just fresh as a daisy in my, in my mind. And, and as we come to Romans 12, it's almost as if at this point we have climbed. We're to the top of the mountain of Romans and Paul taps us on the shoulder and turns us round and goes, look. Look, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Paul's going, can you see our footprints as we've journeyed through uh, Romans? And maybe you remember parts of the journey that we've taken. Uh, maybe you remember some, some bits felt like quite hard work. We had to pay really careful attention to where we were placing our feet because uh, the ground was a bit uneven. Maybe, maybe you uh, remember other points where, where the journey through Romans felt like such a joy, like sunshine on your face. Uh, other bits of the journey, uh, because they're a little while ago, you're going, I don't completely remember them if I'm completely honest. But Paul wants us to take in the view of everything he's already said. And he very conveniently squashes it down for us, sums it up in just two words. It's there in the first verse of Romans 12. God's mercy. What are the first 11 chapters of Romans all about? They're about God's mercy. Uh, Paul's turning us around and saying, look at the view of God's mercy. Isn't it stunning? It's a view Paul wants everybody to take in and drink in. Uh, remember uh, how early on in Romans chapter 1, Paul, Paul says, this is, this is a view I want everybody to see. Because he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And as we look back at the, the path we've taken uh, through Romans, actually we, we see early on there was quite a dark valley we were in. And uh, we, we can still see it. it, it it's dark. And remember how Paul um, in chapter 3 said that all, every person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But just as he speaks that, it's as if we step out of the dark valley, suddenly onto a sunshine slope that extends uh, for a long way. When we heard uh, that there is life in Christ, we are dead to sin, raised from the dead, set free, adopted by God, led by the Spirit, shaped to be like Christ. Nothing able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Maybe there's particular verses, famous verses of Romans that, that stick in your, your mind. The more than conquerors verse. Or the, you know, God demonstrated his own love for us 
in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We, there is a long and glorious sunshine slope. And just as we get to the top of that, the cloud suddenly comes down a bit. We can still, still sense the, the sun is there, but we're struggling quite to see where we're going. It's a bit cloudy. And maybe that's been our experience in recent weeks in, in Romans chapters 9, 10 and 11, as um, Paul unpacks God's plans and purposes for his people, both Jew and Gentile, through history. We might not quite see where we're going. We can still feel the warmth of the sun through the cloud of God's mercy, God's wisdom. And as we enter into chapter 12, the cloud is lifting. And we get to see this stunning view of God's mercy. Take it in, Paul says. Drink it in. God in Jesus, pouring out love, kindness, compassion uh, to each of us, even though we don't deserve it. Even though there's nothing we've done to sort of somehow earn it. Drink it in. Because Paul says it's fuel for the Christian life. It's fuel for what comes next. What comes next? Well, we're going to see that because of God's mercy, there is a new life to live and a new way to think. First of all, there's a new life to live. The first word of Romans 12 is, is therefore. Paul, having said all that he has said about God's mercy, requires a response. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. God's mercy offers us and gives us a new life to live with our bodies as living sacrifices. This is not the kind of sacrifice uh, somebody might try and make to appease God, to try and cover over the things that we've done that need covering over, make up for the things we've done that need making up for. We're going to remember as we gather around the communion table this morning, receive bread and wine, Jesus has done that for us fully and finally. His sacrifice, his offering made once for all upon the cross. It's his sacrifice that has brought us back to God as Father. Given us the identity as his forgiven people. That means we have the Holy Spirit in us that has given us this new life to live. Now, being, being a living sacrifice means living out that new life that Jesus has won for us. Being a living sacrifice is not about just offering to God a few slots in our week or a few moments of our time or a few areas of our lives. Just think about the language. A living sacrifice involves every part of our life every day. Just imagine it like this. Jesus is not inviting us to a life where we just come along, sit on the side of the swimming pool, put our feet in for a few minutes. And then come back again and just keep repeating that. The life that Jesus invites us to is to do a running leap off the side of the swimming pool and land in and swim around. To be all in for him. To be a living sacrifice. Well, Paul says it involves, it involves our bodies. Just, just think of areas of our, our body parts. Think of your tongue, your mouth. It involves what we say. Being a living sacrifice involves our speech. Are we those who use our words to, to tear down and to discourage or to build up 
to use our words to dishonour Jesus or make him known. Well, what about our eyes? It involves what we choose to look at. What, 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 are we, what are we looking at and how are we looking at it? Are we seeing the generosity of God in his creation? Or are we looking at the things we long for and so desperately want? Do we look at others and find ourselves judging or criticising? Or seeing actually others as those made in the image of God? Precious. Many of whom who don't yet know Jesus. Or maybe think of your hands and are our hands just holding desperately on to certain things that we don't want to let go of? Are we living open-handedly? Are we using our hands to hinder or to hurt? Are we using our hands to help, to heal? Being a living sacrifice involves our feet. Just, just think for a moment all the different places your feet will take you this coming week. Home, a friend's house, the shops, the hospital, the doctor's uh, surgery, um, the different places around the village. In each of those places, we're to be living sacrifices. And to us, I guess making a sacrifice, well, it's probably not that new. We make uh, sacrifices for all sorts of things. Um, I wasn't here last Sunday. Um, I let myself have one Sunday morning each year where I allow myself uh, to have an attempt at running as fast as I can around Nottingham. Um, It's the Nottingham Half Marathon. Uh, sort of my annual thing. And, and you very kindly allow me to have a, a Sunday morning off to go and, and do that. And I was very pleased with myself because at one point, I think it's probably about six miles in, I'm running next to a real-life Paralympian. Not just any para- a gold medal-winning Paralympian. Um, just to reassure you, it was just for a very short amount of time as he overtook me and then carried on going very fast. I mean, he's a 200-meter runner and yet still absolutely something. But just think of him, the sacrifices he must have had to have made in order to be a gold-winning Paralympian. They would have been enormous, and yet Paul here is saying, in view of God's mercy, the sacrifice you as people who've got a new life to live, it's even greater. It's even greater. Yes, it's going to be costly. Yes, it involves all of us. But look what it leads to. It leads us on the path of knowing God delighting in us. The path of knowing that we have God's smile over us. That God is taking joy in us. See, worship is not just what we do on a Sunday. It's not just about prayers and the hymns. It's not less than that. The true worship, proper worship, worship that makes sense because of God's mercy, is a whole life that is committed to God, living all in for Jesus. It's the only response that makes sense when we see the full view in front of us. Of God's mercy. It's the response the Holy Spirit grows in us uh, as we see that view. We have a new life to live as living sacrifices. But in order to do that, there's a new way to think. We've got a new life to live, but there's a new way to think. New lives to live make, well, they make sense, don't they, in view of God's mercy. But it doesn't come naturally, and it's not the way of the world around us that doesn't know Jesus. You see, being a living sacrifice, living distinctively different, means you stick out in any and every culture that ever has existed and does exist. That's why Paul, in verse 
it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Down through history, uh, the new life Christians are sought to live uh, has often stood out in a few particular areas, whatever the culture has been. It's often been how the most vulnerable, including the unborn, the youngest, the oldest, are treated. It's often involved the avoidance of violence being replaced with forgiveness. It's looked like generosity to those who are the least and have the least. It's a particular view that that sex is for marriage between one man and one woman. It's been going to incredible lengths to share faith in Jesus with others. Instead of being conformed, squashed into the way of the world around us, God in his his mercy pours the Holy Spirit into our lives that we might be transformed, not conformed, but transformed. And it happens as our minds are renewed. It's as if the Holy Spirit rewires our thinking so that we can test and approve, that we can discover and understand for ourselves what God's will is, God's way of life for us to live is. Knowing that it is good, pleasing, and perfect. That's what he said. You want to live a good life? It's a Jesus-shaped life. And Paul goes on and gives us a really practical example of, of what this kind of rewiring of our minds looks like in our life together as a church community. It says verse 3, For the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed uh, to each of you. Naturally, apart from Jesus, our, our thinking normally puts ourselves in first place, in pole position. It's certainly uh, the case um, for the culture that we live in. Um, it sounds like a silly example, but again, running through the streets of, of Nottingham uh, last Sunday, you, you, people hold up signs. You can do it, they declare. Believe in yourself. My favorite one, I think, is you will have a lifetime of bragging rights. That's the culture we live in. Myself in first place. But Paul wants those who have the new life to live to think differently, a new way to think, and to think rightly about themselves. What is it that shapes how we think about ourselves? Well, it goes back to that view of God's mercy again. Uh, Paul talks about the the faith God has distributed to each of you. What's faith in Jesus? Because faith in ourselves fails because we fail. It is God's mercy to us in Jesus that brings us together as a church community, brings us together as a body. Just as your bodies and my bodies are made up of many parts, yet we are one, so it is with the church. We are one body made up of individual parts. Later on in our, our second service, in our 1045, we'll be welcoming a new member of our body. And so we baptise Olive Turnbull. You see, what brings us together, what makes us a body, is not just that we live in the same place. It certainly can't be that we just like the same things and like the same people. It can't be that we look and dress the same that brings us together. It's got to be God's mercy. Those who know God's mercy. And it means that in Christ, we, though many, form one body, Paul says, verse 5. Each member belongs to the other. 
A new way to think means letting God's mercy shape how we view ourselves, but also how we view each other. Just as I need my nose and my hands and my ears and my liver and my toes and my kneecaps, so this morning I need each one of you. And you need me. God's mercy puts us all on a level on puts us all on level ground in front of the cross. That doesn't mean we're all the same. Paul says, actually, each of us have a, a gift or gifts from God to use in our life together. Paul talks about prophesying, doesn't he? Uh, speaking truth from God to strengthen others. He talks about serving, uh, if you're really practical. Uh, teaching, making God's truth understandable. Encouraging, getting alongside other people. Um, giving, you know, when generosity is just, just flows out completely naturally. Uh, leading, you, you're somebody who people follow. Showing mercy, you're drawn to making a difference to the least and the last and the lost. And the list of, of gifts that Paul gives us in these verses is, is not the complete list. It's just an example. And the temptation we have is to, to look at these gifts and go, well, wh- which one's me? But notice we straight away put ourselves in first place. Paul is slightly less concerned about recognizing what gift you have, but to get on and use it. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy, he says. If it is serving, then serve. It's teaching, teach, encourage, then give encouragement. Get on and do it. And it's one of the reasons over the last few Sundays uh, we've regularly talked about what it means to belong to the life of St. Luke's. Uh, And often for most people it involves four things. Being part of our, our gatherings on a Sunday. Coming along on a Sunday, uh, being part of a small group uh, or something that meets uh, during the week, not just on Sundays. Uh, Giving financially, but also serving in different areas of the life of the church. If you're not sure what your spiritual gifts are, three things you can do. Ask God, ask others around you, and ask where the help is needed. And we have some particular areas of help that's needed at the moment. Uh, We've had a particular joy this year of seeing our work with uh, children uh, and young people grow. And we rejoice that new people have stepped into helping lead uh, some of that work. We had 13 or 14 teenagers in the Memorial Hall on Friday tea time, opening up Mark's Gospel to encounter Jesus, to discover what he's all about. That doesn't normally happen, does it? Isn't that marvellous? But for us to be doing that, we, we need to continue to resource that with uh, with, with help, um, to have tea and coffee at the end of the service, to be able to hear what's going on, uh, that people receive visits. Uh, there's so many areas in the life of our church where there are opportunities. Uh, and if there is something you would like to, to think about, come, come and ask. Ask God what your gift is. Ask somebody else what you might be good at. Ask where the help is needed. We need a new way of thinking. And God generously rewires our minds so that we might live out the new lives that he's given us to live. And where does it all flow out from? Well, Paul wants to tap you on the shoulder again. Turn you around and go, look, look at God's mercy. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can say with great confidence that you are a God of mercy. 
Thank you for for many of us uh, here this morning. That is our experience. Uh, Receiving from you, uh, not what we deserve, but what we don't deserve. And I pray that your mercy to us will continue to uh, shape and direct our lives. And would you help us to live all in for Jesus? Every part of our lives uh, seeking to worship you. Would you help us to think rightly? Sometimes, Lord, our our, our thinking goes astray. We ask that your Holy Spirit would would help us to to think rightly about ourselves, to think rightly about others. We would know that we are one body with many members. We belong to each other. And we are called to serve one another with the gifts that you have given to us. And so, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to live this out. Amen.